morning. It's good to see you here this morning. We are in a message series where we're surveying some of the key history in Scripture, and we're pulling out of it in the twists and turns of the epic story God's communicating how he, he relentlessly pursues people to connect with them so that they can know him. And he, he, does, he does not back off. I've, I've really enjoyed getting ready for the series, just reading through the stories, pouring over them, pulling out the principles and the key truths that are in those stories. There's a song that I like to listen to. It says, stories like that make a boy grow bold. Stories like that make a man walk straight. And hopefully, as you've been part of this series, you've, you've sensed that. This, this is why God gave us these histories. This is why he preserved the history of Israel so that we could learn ourselves. Look at Romans 15. It says, for whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance, long-suffering, hanging in there, and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. This is why we have these, these histories, these stories of what God's done in the lives of people in the past so that we could be encouraged, so that we could have hope. Last week, we saw how God raised up Moses to deliver the people of Israel, his people, from slavery. And this is a picture for us that <clears throat> reminds us God's still delivering people from slavery in, in a spiritual way. I grew up with a volatile temper. And when I tell people that, sometimes it surprises them. But one example of my temper was when I was eight years old, my very first official at-bat, I'd snuck into a couple games before that. Probably not good, but I did. And uh, my very first official at-bat ever, I hit the ball over the outfielder's head. And I, we didn't have a fence, so you had to run out a home run. So I ran as fast as I could all the way around the bases, slid across home plate, and I decided to reach back and touch home plate just to make sure the umpire saw that I, you know, it hit the plate. And as I did that, the catcher tagged me and he called me out. I went ballistic. I was throwing helmets, bats. I was crying, yelling, screaming. The commissioner of the league, they called him over to try to calm me down. And this is typically the way my growing up years went. <laughs> if I did not get what I wanted, I threw a fit. I got lit up with a very short fuse. And in a way, I was in a slave. I was a slave to the anger that I struggle with. It would cause problems in friendships. It, it would delay work that I was trying to accomplish because I'd have to work through the anger and deal with it. And the interesting thing at 58 now, um, what's helped me to deal with the temper, with the anger, is not self-effort. It is, that only works for a little bit. You only have the, you know, to keep it down. When it's about to blow, it's really tough to hold it down. But what's helped is genuine sorrow for my sin. Asking God's forgiveness, then experiencing his grace and forgiveness 
that motivates me to goodness. And then surrendering to his spirit. This is what I've learned to do since I decided to walk with Christ. Surrendering to his control. And as I'm doing that, getting into the scripture and let it change the way I think. There's a passage that says the anger of man does not accomplish the righteousness of God. And if I'm following Christ, my, my desire should be to accomplish what's right before God in this world. Anger doesn't do that. And so anger, as I've made a mess, I've confessed that to God, cleaned, straightened it out with the people that I've hurt. And then asked him to fill me and lead me and tried to change my thinking about what's going on. It's that process that God has used to change me. And, and it's a fight. This is what we're looking at today. A couple of weeks ago, we saw how God chose Abraham to be the father of a nation through whom he would bless the nations and show the world what he is like. He, he gave him this promise when he was 75. And if you recall... God led Abraham to set out from his homeland, make a trek 400 miles across the Arabian Desert. He was 75 again to show him the land that he would promise to his descendants, the land that he promised to give them. He would give them the land of Canaan, which is modern day Israel. Today, we're going to find out what it takes to claim the promises of God. Life's a battle. It's a fight. We battle to claim the promises of God. In the battles of Israel, what God is showing us is that we can win spiritual victories if we fight His way and His power under the directions that He gives. But we have to fight to claim the the life God promises. Now, this is important to understand. This is an important major perspective that we need to carry into life. If you don't know this, you're going to be confused as you try to follow Christ. You might be blindsided and taken down spiritually, and you may not recover. So this is a very important perspective that we're looking at this morning. Let's compare following Jesus to boarding a ship. He's the captain of the ship. And as you board the ship, this this is what it means to follow Christ. You get on his ship, and he's the captain. He's taking it where he will. You need to know what kind of ship that is. If you think it's a cruise ship, then you're a little confused as life comes at you. We won't be adequately prepared for the opposition we face if we see Jesus as the captain of a cruise ship. On a cruise ship, you expect to be served, to live in the lap of luxury and convenience. After all, you've paid good money for this. <laughs> so, hey, just let me sit on the veranda and enjoy life. <clears throat> if you think you booked a cruise and fallen Christ, it's a shocker when you discover it's a battleship. You're looking for the buffet line. And the ship takes some hits from incoming missiles, and you are shell-shocked because you thought you were on a cruise. This is an important perspective to carry through life after you decide to follow Christ. You have to understand this. 
And the Bible is very clear about the nature of the Christian life and what we can expect here on earth as we follow Christ. We're going to have to fight to claim the promises of God. We pick up the storyline of the Bible as God's people, the Israelites, fight the first two battles in their quest to conquer the land that God had promised them. Get that? It's God promised to give it to them, but they had to fight for it. And they, they just entered. We're going to look at the first two battles. This is the land that Abraham trekked to. 400 miles across the desert. God, it was, it was a tremendous land. And Israel had sent spies, reconnaissance team, into the land. They surveyed the land and <clears throat> 10 of the 12 spies said, this is, this is a great land flowing with milk and honey. The produce is amazing, but these dudes are huge. There is no way we're going to be able to defeat the enemy. Two of those guys, Joshua and Caleb, they said, you know what? This is all true. But if God wants us to win the land, he will give it to us as we fight. Joshua is the guy that's leading them into battle. So one of the spies that had the faith to see that God could do this is leading them into battle. The first battle that we're going to look at is Jericho. And what you learn from these battles is if you depend on God to fight for you and with you, there is victory. If you depend on your own strength and wisdom, you lose. This is the way it goes. So the first battle at Jericho was won by use of very unconventional warfare. Israel was careful to follow the Lord's instructions. They listened. They waited. They got the instructions. They followed the instructions. They were told to march around the city for six days with trumpets blaring before the fighting men who remained. The trumpets led the fighting men. They were completely silent. On the seventh day, they walked around it seven times in the same fashion. And then... At a command, they gave a shout. The walls of the city fell down. Joshua 6.20 says, So the people shouted, and the trumpets were blown. And as soon as the people heard the sound of the trumpet, the people shouted with a great shout, and the wall fell down flat. So that the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. They win the victory. Now, this scene reminds me of something that was real encouragement to me as, as I've been battling you know because we battle i we wrestle with stuff we wrestle with things like anger and just slack hand we don't you know we got assignments we get discouraged we get disappointed we're battling with this but there's a reminder that was given by another king of israel in uh second chronicles 32 8 and This king, Hezekiah, says this, says with him, talking about another fierce enemy, the Philistines, says with him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people took confidence from the words of King Hezekiah, or Hezekiah, king of Judah. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. He, He will help. He, he will fight, but we have to learn to work with him and trust him and rely on his strength, 
not our own. As we face our fears and battle through life, God will fight for us if we rely on him. If we charge ahead of him and fight in our own strength, we lose. At Jericho, the people were careful to obey God. They won. Ai was very different. It was complete opposite. They were instructed to collect all the plunder uh, from Jericho and give it to the treasury of the Lord. One of the men kept some for himself. This angered God. In addition to that, there's some telltale signs that they chose. Israel was feeling good about their victory at Jericho, and they chose to fight in their own power. Uh, they, they also did some reconnaissance here, and they came back and reported to Joshua. They said, do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they, they are few. My, my loose translation of, of what they reported back to Joshua is, no sweat, this city is going to be easy peasy. No need to send the whole army. We've got this. We can handle it. Look at Joshua 7, 4 through 5. So about 3,000 men went up there from the people, and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as Shabarim and struck them in the descent. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. This is a very different battle than Jericho. At Jericho, they waited for God's instruction, and they were careful to obey. They were careful to follow his instruction. But at Ai, they charged ahead in their own strength and wisdom. They didn't check with God and got smeared. (laughs) They got wiped out. Through a process, what happens next is God reveals that A major part of the problem is one of the guys kept the devoted things, the things that were intended to be given to the treasury of the Lord. And so through the battle, he was correcting them. He was was showing them that they needed to repent, and Israel repents, and they go back to the fight for Ai. Joshua 8.1 says, uh, Do not fear. This is what the Lord said to Joshua. Do not fear and do not be dismayed. Take all the fighting men with you and arise. Go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai and his people, his city and his land. So do not fear. Do do not be in terror or dread. Do not be dismayed. Do not be discouraged. Don't let your hearts melt like water because you just lost. This this is what God, God says. This is what he wants to do in our own lives. Relying on God, Israel takes courage and Ai falls. Here's the lesson. Rely on yourself and lose the battle spiritually. Rely on God, carefully follow his ways, and win. This this is what we see over and over and over again as Israel works through uh, the promised land that God had promised them and fights the battles. Through the historic battles of Israel, God is teaching us how to fight spiritually. These battles show us, show us this, this core lesson of relying on God. We've got to rely on God, not our own strength. We've got to do things His way if we want to 
gain the, the edge in spiritual battles. I'd like to shift the focus now to understanding who it is and what it is we're fighting against. This is also an important understanding uh, that we need in lessons. That's the backdrop, this battle, the battles of Israel. But now I want to look at how the New Testament provides important reconnaissance that helps us in the battle. Getting an accurate picture of the enemy's positions is priceless in war. I mean, you, we spend a lot of money. We spend huge amounts of money in our country uh, in order to create technologies that allow us to get an edge in fighting a war, and they help us see where the enemies are, where the enemy is, what's going on in battle. And the interesting thing is Scripture clearly lays out the enemies who are trying to win against us, who are fighting against us. They're trying to win our thoughts and our emotions. And, and they're pressing against us. It's like God gives us a satellite view of the battlefield. And so we, we need to take advantage of that. We need to understand this. We learn through Scripture that Christ followers have three enemies that we battle. The world, the flesh, and the devil. First enemy is the world, which is a system of beliefs and values contrary to God's values. You can read Ephesians 2, 2 through 3, and it describes this. But what, what we tend to do in our world at large is we try to deal with our problems from a human vantage point, and we don't factor God into the solution. We don't factor him into the, the situation at all. Um, this is disastrous. When we try to answer questions about meaning and purpose in life, when we try to unravel our problems, like anger, this, this, is, this is, boy, factoring God in, you guys wouldn't like me at all. You might like me now, but if I were still that person who never dealt with anger at all in his life, didn't have God helping to change him, you might even hate me if you were in a, in a, conversation with me but you're probably nicer than that you might not hate me you just wouldn't like me but we we need god's help to unwind even our personal problems but the attitude in the world at large is a perspective that we can make it in life without god's help there are many ideas that make it difficult to trust and follow god that swirl around in our world for example in science the premise for the origin of life is that we were created without him. So that, that's replaced in many, many ways in our culture the, the idea that God got it all started. And, that, and then, for, boy, from there, you go a very different direction than if God exists. Another idea is that religion is a crutch and only the weak need it. That doesn't inspire us to, to follow God. Also, it's said that you have to check your brain at the door to believe in God. It's not true, but that's what you hear. These ideas come in waves through the media, through education, through politics, and so on. So that's the first enemy, the world. It's a system of beliefs contrary to God's ideas and truths. Second enemy is the flesh, the tendency to sin that remains in us after conversion. 
When the word flesh is used in the New Testament, it has a very specific meaning. It describes the sinful nature that remains in us after conversions. Here's something else we need, you need to know. Once you decide to follow Christ, you still struggle with sin. There's this sinful nature, this old nature. It's referred to sometimes as the old nature, where you get into a situation and you fall back on your old strategies, your old ways, and the old plans that you had for getting what you want. This is the flesh. And we, we wrestle with this. This is one of our enemies. There, there are ways of thinking and strategies that we use to make it in life before we trusted Jesus to help us. My battle with anger is an example of an old strategy that I'm tempted to fall back into and get my way. We battle the flesh every day. We may lash out with words. We may promote ourselves, put our goals ahead of others. This is the flesh. I battle that one on the freeway all the time, and it doesn't make any sense to me. What happens to me when I get behind the wheel? And I'm like, hey, cut me off. What are you thinking? You know, it's a battle. It's struggle. The world and the flesh, they team up in some ways. The world says God helps those who help themselves, and this creates a wave of self-reliance. Because that's, that's not exactly true. They're, God wants us to take responsibility for ourselves and our life. That's a strong theme in Scripture. But he helps all kinds of people that don't help themselves or can't help themselves. But what happens when you begin to buy into that is it creates a wave of self-reliance that leads you to fall back on your old strategies and your old ways to get your way. The world says we live in a dog-eat-dog world. Uh, this can be used to justify hurting someone, to get ahead, to protect yourself, or to climb the ladder of success. Hey, it's a dog-eat-dog world. Just a dog going to take a bite, get my way. The third enemy we battle is the devil, Satan and demonic spirits who impact us individually. The devil showed up in the garden to tempt Adam and Eve and he uses legions of demonic spirits to promote his lies and priorities today. In, in the West, we don't buy this as much. It's becoming more and more a part of our reality here. But we tend to gloss over the spirit world. But in many parts of the spirit world, or uh, part of our physical world, the earth, in many places the spirit world is just understood. When we were in Thailand, we were in Thailand last November, and when we'd go up over the crest of the mountain to the city, Piao, that we were going to, uh, the driver would honk. He had, he had a, a drawing of a spirit house right above on his van. And he had a, dry, a spirit house drawn there. And then when he passed the spirit house at the top of the mountain, he honked to appease the spirits. These people are not superstitious. They, they are just like you and I, but they have seen the impact of the spirit world, and they're trying to do what they can in their own understanding to, to hold it off. This is a reality that we face. Satan's strategy of deception and leading people away from God, his commands, uh, are, it's apparent in Scripture. As you read Scripture, 
it's very clear. John 8:44 refers to the devil as a liar and the father of lies. That goes back to this, the story we looked at uh, fall apart as we uh, chose, the first man and woman chose to cave into the enemy's lies. So all three enemies work together to take us down in battle. We, we have to understand what's going on here so we can fight well. We, we have to get the lay of the battlefield. We have to understand what's going on. A friend of mine, uh, Harold Bullock, who's my mentor, he came up with an illustration that Ian, drew, uh, Ian Dale, one of our guys at the Alhambra campus, drew up for us. He says the world is like a boat. It's, it's headed in a certain direction away from God. We're all in the boat. We're in the world. So we're in the boat, boat and we're getting pulled in that direction. It's easy to get taken where the world is going. The boat is pulling a skier behind it and it's taking the skier on a ride. The water skier is the flesh. We tend to be pulled by the world and its values and it makes sense to us. Because we grew up in the world and our flesh is fed by it. However, the boat doesn't just drive itself like all boats. It has a captain who is guiding its direction. Satan is steering the world. And uh, it's going his direction in line with his values and his goals. The Bible calls Satan the ruler of this world. And that transaction that took place in the garden when first man and woman decided to disobey God, somehow Satan gained some freedom to, uh, to rule the world. John 14 says he's the ruler of the world. He gained some influence through the deception in the garden. So this makes it so easy. The way these three enemies work together, it makes it so easy to get caught up in the direction that the world is going and not even realize what's going on. It seems like a fun ride for a while, but the boat is heading over some steep falls because the captain of this boat loves to destroy lives. He loves to, to ruin people. This is his goal. He's an enemy. He's not a friendly enemy. He is an enemy who's trying to destroy our lives. This means we need to know our enemies and know how to fight against them. The good news is the Bible shows us how to fight. First of all, to deal with the world, we need to let God's word, the Bible, transform our views and values. See this in Romans 12 and 2 Corinthians 10 and in other places. When we read the Bible, it shows us how things should be from God's vantage point. It shows us his truths. His principles for living life. We, we catch the world's values like we catch the measles. They're, they're contagious. They're in us. <laughs> they're a part of us. But God's word, the Bible, helps us identify the wrong perspectives. The, the, false, the falsehoods. And replace them with thoughts and truths. And things that please him. The key to this battle against the world is to let God's word change your mind. Let it change you and your mind. And shape your perspective. Factor God and his truth into every circumstance. 
Secondly, to deal with the flesh, we need to walk in the Spirit. A great description of walking in the Spirit is found in Galatians 5:16 through 25. When we fall back to living in the flesh, like when anger wells up in me, in my battle, and we say something hurtful, confess it to God. Make it right with the person you hurt. This is what it means to walk in the Spirit. When you get out of step in the Spirit, when you, we, we're to walk in the Spirit, but every day we get out of step. So to, when we get out of step, so we say something hurtful, anger wells up, we blow up, hurt people around us. We get back in step by confessing to God, making it right with the person that we've hurt, asking their forgiveness, and surrendering to God, asking Him for help. You replace self-reliance with faith in order to change. You don't rely on yourself to change. You trust God. You trust God to forgive you. And His Spirit begins to change you over time. This is my experience. This is why you have a better chance of liking me today than you would have if I would have never been changed by God. The last way we battle is we have to deal with the devil. To deal with the devil, you submit to God and use the spiritual armor. There's some armor that he's given us to fight. It's all his armor that he gives to us to use. Um, And I don't have time to go into it, but the Ephesians passage lists the armor and how to use it to fight effectively. If we don't use the armor to fight against the devil's attacks, we can lose much ground in the life God has given us. We, We don't experience life the way God intends. We don't experience the joy that he's promised because we aren't fighting. He, he waits for us to fight. And it's even in the fighting that he changes us and grows us and, and makes us a different person. Claiming the life God's promised is a battle. We're on a battleship, not a cruise ship. Look at Hebrews 6. It says, And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end so that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. It requires faith, not not self-reliance, not self-effort to claim the promises of God. It requires patience. That word means long-suffering. You've got to hang in there. You've got to bear with, bear under all the, the trouble and the trials and the struggles. We're commanded here to imitate... Those who through faith and patience inherited the promises. Abraham, Moses, Joshua, the people we've been looking at in this series. They didn't rely on their own strength and wisdom, but they carefully followed God's instruction in faith. They trusted him. Expect to fight until God wraps up history, until you go on to eternity or God wraps up history in this world. When he takes us to the kingdom of heaven, it's all over. There's no more battle. But from now to that time, we need patience to trust him to fight the world, the flesh, and the devil, our enemies. The word patience means we need to bear up in the fight. 
and keep swinging the sword. Keep putting on the armor that God's provided. I'd like you to consider some next steps related to the battle that we're dealing with. And we have one possibility listed here. God may have said some other things to you, but take some, a moment to think this through. My next step today is to identify the attack I'm facing and fight with God's resources. Circle one of these. Uh, the flesh. Maybe, maybe you've been struggling with the flesh. To win against the flesh, we have to keep saying no to our old ways and strategies and surrender to God's spirit to lead us. Maybe you struggle with the world, the world's way of thinking, the, the ideas that are pulling you against God, doubting him, doubting his goodness. Get into the Bible and let it change your thinking to defeat this enemy. Or maybe you've been struggling with the devil. We submit to God's leadership to win this battle, to resist and use the armor God's given us. So if you would, take a moment and consider what is your next step after hearing the, the, the message this morning. Uh, if you would also take the connection card and take the time to finish completing any information there, and then when the offering comes by we're going to receive in a few moments you can drop the card in the offering next week we're going to look at leadership there are different kinds of leaders that God provided in the history of Israel and they all point us in a direction they show how important it is to follow leadership to handle leadership rightly and so we're going to dig into that next week and the question we're going to answer is, how does God work through human authority and what are the implications for following it? We're going to dig into that more in detail. We've mentioned that a couple times in the series, but we're going to dive in next week. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your truth in Scripture that helps us get a, a grip, an understanding of what's going on in our lives and in the world. And I just pray that God as you've spoken to us this morning that you give us the power to step out and follow you I ask for your help in this in the name of Jesus Christ Amen